Thanks, Pastor Mel. Well, I thought I might cry this morning, but not that early. But thank you for your lovely words. That was lovely. Okay, how are we doing? Are we good? Good. So when I was first asked to speak today by Pastor Mel, after my initial panic, my first challenge was, okay, well, what should I speak about? Where should I start? There's so much in the Word of God to share. Where do you start? And then the answer became so immediately obvious to me. Well, you start with Jesus. Where else would you start? Do you know Jesus is the most talked about, debated about, Googled about, fussed about man in all of history? <laughs> He's the inspiration behind many plays and poems, pieces of artwork and the music that we hear today. People in this world cannot escape hearing about the name of Jesus in some form or another. So who was Jesus that we read about in the Bible? What were his central teachings and claims? How could one man change a worldview so drastically and have such a profound impact on the people of his time and many future generations to come? And why are we still talking about and following the name of Jesus? So this morning, I want to take a look at the life of Jesus, if that's okay with you. I want to look at the scriptures and the gospel writings and remembering that the Gospels are eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus written by the men who were with him in a court of law. That's what we call eyewitness accounts. It says in 1 John <coughs> 1, that which, was, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So these are the eyewitness accounts. But to start, I just want to qu take a quick look at the birth of Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures and prophecies point to Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in John 5, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you will find life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Can you imagine being that steeped in religious tradition with your heart so hard that you cannot see the living word? when it's in front of your face. And that's how far away some of this generation seem to have fallen. So let's look at some of the prophecies. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and, we, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9:6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratha, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one for me who will rule over all of Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And here he is talking about the timeless, eternal existence of Jesus. He was with the Father in the beginning, one being with the Father and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And this reiterates the opening of John's Gospel. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And we jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Daniel, Hosea, Jeremiah, they all talk about um, events that surround the birth of Jesus. 
um, we, we have that he will come after the rebuilding of Jerusalem. He will be called out of Egypt. Rachel is weeping, refusing to be comforted um, for her children, the, referring to the order of Herod's um, killing of the baby boys in Bethlehem. And all these prophecies were fulfilled exactly when the actual birth of Jesus took place. A staggering orchestration of events, which when you think about it, could only be divine in origin. A virgin birth, a massively miraculous event of God, something we've all become so accustomed to hearing about that it's almost skimmed over now. But Jesus was the only person ever to be conceived by a virgin, conceived in the womb by the Spirit of God. His birth sets him apart from any other human being that has ever been born or existed. Explains in Luke 1. Then the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Son of God, sharing the same divine nature of God, the exact essence of God, one being with the Father and Holy Spirit. And we know the shepherds in the field nearby received an angelic visitation when Jesus was born and they said, don't be afraid. Today, a Savior has been born to you. When we take a look at the scriptures and events surrounding his birth, we can only come to the understanding that he is the Holy One, the Son of God, the same being as God, always existed as one with the Father, our Savior, Emmanuel, God embodied, God incarnate, in Christ, God dwells with us. Now we'll move on to the life of Jesus and we understand from the Bible that Jesus lived a, a seemingly quiet life up, up until his baptism in the Jordan River. In John 1, uh, 15, John testifies concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said he comes after me, has surpassed me because he was before me. Again, Jesus' eternal, timeless existence with the Father. And we know Jesus is taken off by the Spirit into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Yet he remained sinless. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is, un who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So he returns to Galilee now in the power of the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is involved in our salvation. And he immediately begins to preach a message of repentance. And we go on to read in Luke. Then Jesus, armed with the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee, and his fame spread throughout the region. He taught in the synagogues, and they glorified him. Mark's account. The people were awestruck and overwhelmed by his teaching, because he, because he taught in a way that demonstrated God's authority, which was quite unlike any of the re religious scholars. Have you ever felt awestruck and overwhelmed by Jesus? The people in the synagogues were. The presence and the authority of God reverberating around the room. The conviction they must have felt. But also the love and the compassion that they must have felt. They had something to talk about. They had something to go and tell their friends about. News about him spread quickly. In a time when hearts had become so hard and self-righteousness 
was on the throne, his teachings began to come against that. That They began to break that down in people. He spoke of a love for strangers, a love for sinners. He spoke of forgiveness and mercy. Blessed are the spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. It is the pure in heart that will see God. He began to transform the way people thought in their hearts, and he brought morality up to a whole new level, a whole new meaning. He said in Luke, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Wow. Gosh. That's hard. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry at a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. The disciples recognized their need for Jesus and his grace. They once said to him, Lord, increase our faith. When they were discussing how many times they'd have to forgive their brother or sister in one day. And just like today, we need to recognize our complete dependency on Jesus and his grace to be able to live at that standard. We can't do it on our own. But it wasn't only his teachings that pointed to Jesus as the divine. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He forgave sins. He cast out devils. It's funny how all the demons always knew who he was. They always knew who they were dealing with, didn't they? (laughs) All the attributes and miraculous qualities you would attest to God and expect to see in God, you see through the life of Jesus. In fact, Jesus once said in John, I have already told you who I am, but you do not believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. He had authority over the laws of nature. With a word, he calmed the storm. He walked on waters. He supernaturally multiplied fish and bread. How did he have authority over nature? He created it. Through him, all things were made. He sustains the world by the power of his word. Colossians 1, he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Hebrews 1, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Of course, he could tell the sea to be still and it must do so. He created the sea. He sustains it. They are his laws. And he healed all that come to him. He healed the multitudes. Why? Because they were perfect people? Because they'd done everything right? No. He healed him because he was revealing the will and the love of the Father God towards us. He was showing us that through demonstration in his earthly ministry. He was revealing God's great love towards us. He didn't heal the multitudes to convince them to become Christians. He healed them because he loved them and he wanted them whole. He came to pay the penalty for our sins, destroy all the works of the devil, sickness included, because we know sickness entered the world through sin, and give us life and life abundant. He was revealing God to us. If you are ever unsure of the will of God, look to Jesus. 
If you ever need proof God loves you, he sent Jesus. Colossians 1. The sun is a visible the sun is a visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The visible image of the invisible God. 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ Jesus. In fact, Jesus once said, if you really know me, you will know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But did Jesus claim to be God? We know what man's claimed he was. But what did Jesus say? In John 8, 58, the Pharisees say to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. The very word of Yahweh, who the Jewish people understood to be God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In this statement, Jesus is claiming his divinity, his eternal existence, and his oneness with God. And the Jewish people knew that because they immediately took up stones to try and kill him. So they knew what he was claiming. When he was asked by Pontius Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers, you say rightly that I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. <laughs> Hallelujah. He was bringing his kingdom, his way of thinking, his way of living, the kingdom of God, which will reign forever and will never end. And the core message of this kingdom, that it has to begin with your heart. You need Christ to change the very nature of your heart. We were born into sin, and we need Christ to change our very nature. We can't do it. Colossians 2. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the quitting away of your sinful nature. It is produced by the Spirit. You can't do it. You need to be born again of the Spirit. You need Jesus to replace your old nature with his very own nature. And Jesus, you know, he speaks a lot about the heart in his teachings. He, he says in Matthew, it's from the, your heart come all evil desires. It needs to be changed. He says to the Pharisees, why do you clean up the outside of the cup, but inside it's filthy? Sooner or later, the dirt's begun again to show again. Again, he says a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. He's talking about the condition of your heart. You can't keep your heart the same and expect to produce a different kind of fruit. You need to first change the condition of your heart. His words were spirit, and they're alive. And they literally carried his life to the hearts of people who are willing to receive them, and they still do. Hebrews 4.1, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, exposing the innermost thoughts and desires. He exposes things in our hearts, and we know we need a savior. He, lo he forgives us. He loves us. He restores us with his very own nature, and in doing so, transforms us. It's beautiful. It's a gospel. It's a good news. 
And why has his teachings not faded over time? Because Jesus, Jesus changes hearts irrevocably. I love this statement in Acts 5.38 when Gamaliel, he's speaking to the, um, the Jewish priests uh, regarding the disciples. It was the beginning of the early church and the disciples are still spreading and talking about Jesus. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or if this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But it, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow them. At least you might even be found fighting against God. No man can overthrow or stop God. And then we come to his death. What a b- brutal death it was. And yet the book of John it says Jesus knew all things that was going to come upon him. He knew about his death. He spoke about his death several times. He told his disciples about his death. You know, don't ever think Jesus was helpless, that the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders had power over him. They didn't. The very power of his words, when the soldiers come to arrest him, they fell flat on their back. He says in John, no man can take my life away from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to pick it up again. This command I received from my father. He lays down his life for us. He sheds sinless, holy blood for the sins of mankind to destroy all the works of the devil, to break the power of sin over our lives and to restore us back to the children of God, to restore back his kingdom, to fulfill what the scriptures have told. There there was no other way it could be done. It's finished. It's finished. What's finished? Sin's power over our life. All the things that kept us in prison and in bondage, everything from the enemy is all finished. It doesn't have power over us anymore. Only if we let it. Our disconnect to God, our life in the darkness, it's all finished. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Ephesians 1. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of of his son and forgave our sins. Because he died, sin's power over us has died. Romans 5. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the free gift of righteousness Reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. Romans 8. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He set you free. You're free. Wow. It's exciting, isn't it? It's good news. You're forgiven through his eyes. You're forgiven through his eyes. Are you forgiven through your own? You know, we cannot understand the cross and stay, sorry, in the condemnation of our sins. Yes, we needed a savior. Yes, we needed the penalty of sin paid for. Praise God, we needed a way opened up for us. But when we look to the cross, we should be conscious of how valuable you are to him, how forgiven you are, how loved you are, how much purpose he has placed on your life that he was willing to die for you. Because it is the power of that truth exploding off inside of you that will begin to transform you from the inside out. How? 
because it is that truth that will draw you to his presence and not away from him. And it is only in his presence can you have true and lasting transformation. Do you know, there's no other world religion around today that offers freedom, love, and forgiveness from the very start. And your self-works are wiped out of the picture. All you have to do is believe. He offers it to you as a gift. It's already done. Forgiveness, righteousness, it's a gift. And then we come to his resurrection. An event that skeptics have tried to disprove and dishonor for many centuries. It began with the initial claims that the disciples sold the body. And we've heard that echo down through the ages. You know, there's so much evidence around for the resurrection of Jesus. If you were to do a study, it's quite overwhelming. But I do love what one scholar said, um, William Lane Craig. How could the early Christian church take off with such a force in Jerusalem on the, cr- the claims of a resurrected Jesus if there was still a body laying in the tomb just outside of Jerusalem? Don't you think someone would have checked? And I'm sure not one person, but many people checked. And I'm sure that empty tomb evangelized to a lot of people at that time. But I would say the resurrection is more than physical evidence. Billy Graham once said, if there was no evidence at all for the resurrection of Jesus, I would still believe because of the resurrection life that's taken place inside of me. The change inside of me. The new life that now lives inside of me. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to the Father. He was able to send us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. His Spirit that dwells in us permanently. You know, the joy unspeakable that you can find when everything around you should make you want to fall apart. The peace that surpasses all understanding when the storm is raging in your life. Your ability to truly forgive people who hurt you. The love you have for one another. The strength to endure all things or to do things you never dreamed you could do. Where do you think that comes from? It's his life now inside of us. As he is, so are we now in this world. Jesus says in John 14, Soon the world will no longer see me. But since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. If there was no evidence at all for the resurrection of Jesus, I would still believe because of the resurrection life that has taken place inside of me. You know, Christians, we're not a deceived people. We're a people who have opened our hearts and our minds to the truth, who've been born again and are now living, breathing, fleshy testimonies of the transformative power of God's love and God's grace. And not a mystical far-off God, a God who's personal and a God who's relational, a God that dwelt among us and a God that still walks with us every moment of our lives and is closer than our very breath. The Apostle Paul, um, we know he used to persecute and kill Christians from city to city. 
he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the way to arrest some more Christians. And we know his life was radically transformed. He went on to be the central figure for the worldwide spread of Christianity, and he did amazing things for God. He was an extremely well-educated man, someone we'd call a professor or a scholar today. And he once said this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know him and the power of his resurrection that comes from God on the basis of faith. He is all we need, just to know him and to be one with him. And we don't need to have a vision of the resurrected Jesus like Paul did. You might have had, and that's great. You might think that would be terrifying. I'm not sure (laughs) what camp you'd be in. But he's given us his, the blessed Holy Spirit, his spirit to now live with us permanently, to teach us, to guide us, to reveal himself to us. And once you receive him and fully surrender your old life for his, you can truly begin to live your life in complete union with him and his beautiful, glorious, powerful, water-walking, miracle-bearing resurrection life. In surrendering, you win. And in dying, you live. I'm going to draw to a close now. Then you will come to know, without any doubt, Jesus is, in fact, who he claimed to be, Lord Almighty, one with the Father, light of the world, shepherd of your soul, Lord of your heart, the beautiful Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to pray, if that's all right, church. Thank you, Father. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the love and the grace that you pour out on us every day. And I pray we come to live our lives in the high calling of Christ Jesus as we grow more in the knowledge and relationship of you. And just as we're in this moment and we've all just got our heads bowed, I just want to give people the opportunity. If, if they don't yet know Christ as their Lord and Savior and they feel that this is the time, this is a moment to begin your life in union with the beautiful Lord Jesus. And I just ask that you just raise your hands. Just raise your hands up. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He's wonderful, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're just going to pray this prayer if you'd like to repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. I believe you died for my sins and rose to life again. I turn to you now and invite you to come into my heart and my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Great. Thank you, church. Thanks for listening.